Thank you so much, worship team. Uh, what awesome songs and hymns we've been able to sing this morning to our incredible God. It's just wonderful. So thank you for leading us in that. My name's Dan McDonald. I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you. Um, oftentimes, I'm kept at the Western campus. Not really, not quite that bad. But it's always great to come up here to Wausau and be with you guys. And I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Weston. Uh, but it's just a joy to be with you. Please join me now as we open with prayer. Father, we need you desperately, and we probably don't even know the half of it, how desperate we are for you. But Lord, I pray that even as we work through things today, that, that we would realize our desperation for you in greater and greater measure, not that we would be discouraged, but because we would see how incredibly all-sufficient you are how incredibly all-sufficient Jesus is as our Savior. So we thank you for the time that we're going to have together this morning. Pray for your help and your wisdom and for your Holy Spirit to be at work in very great ways in us and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, brothers and, and maybe a few sisters who are in here too, uh, it's a joy to be with you. I, I want to just jump in right away here, uh, sharing some statistics with you. Uh, the first statistic is this. 56% of American divorces involve one party who has been obsessed with pornography. 68% of church-going men use porn on a regular basis. These are statistics from Barna, Barna Research, and from Covenant Eyes. Of young, adult, young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for pornography. 55% of married men, 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. And these are statistics that are difficult. These are statistics that we're aware of, and we're also aware, just as, as a congregation, of the struggle with pornography, and many of it is kept under wraps, but, but there's still so much that we are learning that we know. And because of that, the elders of Highland have asked that we address this in a very specific way during our Faith and Family series. So, so that's what we're going to do this morning. So I want to ask you to jump in with me here right into our text, which is Proverbs chapter 7. And we're going to be starting in verse 6. And as we get started, I just want to lay it out this way. Um, what's going on here in the book of Proverbs? Solomon, the king that we've been studying with Pastor Jeff's First Kings sermon series, is writing to his sons, and he's encouraging his sons. He's, he tells his sons, look, there are two roads you can take. There are, there are two women that you can fall in love with, and you can fall in love with one or the other, but not both. You can fall in love with Lady Wisdom, and she will take you on the path to life, or you can fall in love with the foolish woman, and she has some appeal, but she's going to take you on the path to death. So that's, that's what Proverbs is about. That's what Solomon is dealing with, with his sons, and he's alluring them and encouraging them to follow the way of life. Well, in Proverbs 7, he paints a picture of what the foolish woman looks like, the path to death. And, and he describes her as an adulterous woman. And he warns his sons to stay away from her. And when you think about this, be thinking, you know, if you are a guy who's struggling with pornography in any way, realize that, that as we move through this section of scripture, 
that viewing pornography is also adultery. So this is a warning for us. Uh, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 that even to look after, at a woman and lust after her in our hearts is committing adultery. So pornography is sin. We're going to identify that right off the bat. But as we move through this passage, we're going to see not only how does the adulterous woman trap a young man, but how does pornography also do the same thing? How does it pursue us and trap us as well? We need to be aware of these things. So with that said, let's go ahead and start in our passage, um, Proverbs chapter 7. Solomon tells a story to his sons, something that he has viewed, or, or, and, and he says this, For at the window of my house I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And I just want to pause there a minute. I want to think about this young man. Okay, we may recognize him. Maybe this young man is us. Um, I want to identify him as the not-so-innocent victim. Okay, not-so-innocent victim. But he is a victim, we'll see that. But he's not so innocent because, why? He's, we see a few things here. We see that he's lacking sense. He's not wise. And, and he's making some poor decisions. He, he wanders out. He's a bit aimless in his wandering. And we notice when it is that he goes out for a walk, right? In verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Okay, so he's, he's not wise. He's going out at a time when he probably should not be going out. And notice where he walks. It says in verse 8 that he passes along the street near her corner. Okay, passes along that way, maybe kind of aimlessly, but maybe with a little bit of hope. The next thing we see is that he takes the road to her house, and we see a bit more deliberation here that this young man who's kind of out aimlessly wandering is maybe has a little bit more in mind. Maybe he's kind of hopeful that as he passes by the street near her house, maybe she'll come out to see him, but it won't really be his fault because he's just kind of aimlessly doing this. He's really trying not to be that intentional. And maybe you have had that experience where, with pornography, maybe where you've been looking through a news article and you get to the bottom and there's maybe something down there that says 32 things that you've never seen before and it doesn't even necessarily look like a pornographic website but chances are, if you click on that, it's probably going to lead you in that direction. But, and you kind of know that in the back of your mind, maybe, and you just kind of aimlessly linger there. Maybe we've been there. I want to introduce us to someone else in the text. Verse 10 says, And behold, the woman, the adulterous woman, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. So, so he's really kind of aimless, but she's not, right? She's a predator. What's she doing? At every corner, she's lying in wait, like a lion ready to tackle its prey. She's very deliberate about how she dresses. She dresses up as a prostitute. She's wily of heart. She's a schemer. She knows exactly what she's doing. This is sin. This is what sin is like, a predator. She's very purposeful. Purveyors of pornography are on the prowl as well, right? I mean, there, there is more pornography consumed in terms of revenue 
than combining the National Hockey League, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, all those revenues combined, there's more that comes in for pornography. And how does that happen? By luring people in. Purveyors of porn are predators. They want to make money. They don't care about us, but they pretend that they do. And notice, too, what happens. Who do predators go after? You know, kind of the young, aimless wanderer. The one who's away from the herd. There's a picture here that I just want you to take a look at. It's of a, a lion attacking a zebra that has gotten away from the herd. There it is. Poor zebra should have stayed with the herd. But when you're out on your own, much more susceptible, just like our young man in Proverbs chapter 7. Let's move on in the text and see what happens next. She's lying in wait, right? Verse 12, verse 13. She attacks. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Today I paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. Okay, the attack is beginning. He, she has come after him. She talks about offering sacrifices, probably peace offerings, which means that she would have extra meat in the house. So she's like, come on, I've got a feast. You know, meat's a delicacy. Come on over to my house. Um, hang out with me for a while. In fact, you're the one that I've been seeking. I've, I'm seeking you eagerly, and I found you. You know, hear the flattery in her voice, but he is buying it. He's listening. What does pornography do? The image is on the page. We can deceive ourselves into thinking, ooh, that person wants me, right? It's just a lie. It's a lie. It's empty. But she goes on with the temptation. Let's take a look at verse 16 through 20. She begins to appeal to him in, in different ways. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. You know, appeals to a sense of sight. Come see my home. It's beautiful. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come on in. It smells great. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And what's she saying? Nobody's going to know. No one will know. Come on. Just come on in. Come on in quick. It's going to be amazing. Everything you want, I have. It's going to be great. And we know from the next verse, verse 21, that he has some resistance, some hesitancy a little bit. He knows this is wrong because it says, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. Okay, he needed to be persuaded because there was something he knew wasn't right about this, but he has not run away from the temptation, has he? With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. She overcomes any of his hesitancies. And in verse 22, we have a very chilling phrase says this, all at once he follows her. All at once he follows her, that he has been tempted, he has not run, the enticement has grown, and he's at a point where he just decides he's going to follow her. He's, he says, I'm all in. Um, he's convinced that what she's saying is going to be worth it. And that's what she's been convincing him of. It's going to be worth it. Come with me. All at once he makes the decision to follow her. In some ways it's not all at once. We've seen all, all this built up to this point. But there does come that decision point, and he did not run. All at once, he followed her. And it gets more chilling 
Because this is God's word, this is truth about what it's like to follow the way of sin. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag or a deer is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. She does. She knows. But he just follows her like a a dumb animal going to the slaughter. Doesn't know it's going to cost his life. It's the way of death. And Solomon then speaks very clearly to his sons. He says to them this, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, or the grave, the place of the dead, going down to the chambers of death. Sons, listen to me, is what Solomon says. Um, she's got a beautiful home. She's going to let you in if you follow her. And you'll see, as soon as and there's colored linens from Egypt, it smells great in there. But if you open the basement door, and you, her aim is to have a meal with you, but you're the meal. And you're going to wind up in the basement. You open the basement door, and there's a mighty throng of the dead down there. It stinks. It smells like death. And that's where you guys will go if you pursue this path. And that's the same path of pornography. It leads to death. And maybe there's some momentary pleasure in it. But pornography not repented of leads to self-consumption, self-love, self-focus, a diminishing ability to love the people around us, loss of job possibly, Definitely a violation of wedding vows, possible loss of marriage, possible loss of family, or worse. And it ultimately leads to death. That's the way of sin. It's so destructive. I have a friend, I'm just going to call him Joe, uh, and and this is a guy I've known for years. Um, He's not from around here, but he was in the the first desert storm. And uh, if you remember what happened there, Uh, Iraq had invaded Kuwait, and the U.S. came to liberate Kuwait. And when our troops arrived in Kuwait, the heat was intense, and they had to take like six weeks to acclimate to the weather before they began to push Saddam Hussein's troops back into Iraq. So he said he was sitting in a trench for weeks, day after day, and mail and all kinds of things would be passed down the trench to hand to the guys down the row, And pornography would come down too. And he was a believer. He's like, pass it by, pass it by, pass it by. But one day, he stopped and he opened a magazine. And when he did that, he didn't know that 12 years later, he was going to be walking into a prison for four years. Um, But what happened with him? He said, he told me later, I became very dissatisfied. My wife could never measure up to the images on the page. And later, he became a youth pastor, was going through seminary, And a girl in his youth group was very needy, very clingy to him, um, matched the pictures better that he'd seen, and he committed adultery with her. And she did not immediately press charges, but 10 years later, just before the statute of limitations expired, she pressed charges. He was extradited from another state, spent four years in prison, had a tremendous, awful impact on his family. And all because where did it start? You know, that that one step... All at once he followed her. 
didn't know it was going to lead him where it led him. So, brothers, what do we do about this? What do we, as Christian men, do now? Well, I don't know. I mean, you're a, a great, great-looking bunch of guys, but I know, just in a room this size, that some of you guys are struggling with pornography. Maybe over half of us are. I don't know. But uh, what I want us to know is that you are not alone, first of all, in the struggle. Because if you think you're alone, like the zebra isolated from the herd, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to isolate us and wants to attack us and, and prey on us. So know this. Know, first of all, that you're not alone. Many people struggle with this. When I was six or seven years old, I was out at my friend's house. We were playing catch out in the yard. Got thirsty, so we went into his house to get a drink of water. And, uh, and his parents were not in the immediate vicinity. And he said, hey, Dan, let me, let me show you what my dad has. And he showed me a pornographic magazine. And it blew me away at age six or seven. I never even thought of anything like that. And all of a sudden, at that age my curiosity was piqued towards sexual things. And that became a struggle for me, even into my teen years and into my early 20s, uh, where, where I actually got into the pattern of pursuing pornography. Before the Lord surrounded me with some guys, some great friends, some scripture that I could not deny and, and turned me away from that. But it was, I just want to say, guys, if you're struggling with this, share it with somebody. This stuff feeds in the dark. You don't want to be isolated. So share it. Be willing to do that. There is tremendous hope. We sang about that hope all morning prior to this message. Second thing I want us to realize, you know, we've been talking about this path to death, right? It's a, it's a horrific path to death. In fact, James says in James 1 verse 15, says this, that, that we're lured and tempted when by our own desires um, we give into temptation and desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Right? We just observed that in Proverbs 7. In fact, I believe James was bouncing quite a lot off of Proverbs 7 when he's talking about this in James chapter 1. So we've been looking at this path of death, but there's another path, Right? My favorite Bible verse of all time, Psalm 1611, says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The path of life, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. What I love is that we don't have to decide between kind of an exciting path to death and a really boring path to life. We don't have to make that distinction because the path to life is fullness of joy eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's who our God is. Not fleeting temporal joy that in, in the end just leads to death. It's something so much greater on the path of life. So in the time that we have remaining this morning, I want to apply this. I want to I think about pursuing the path of life. First of all, how does it help us avoid sin? And secondly, how do we pursue the path of life when we have fallen and stumbled yet again? But first of all, let's look at how pursuing the path of life enables us to avoid sin. I want to start by realizing, we need to realize that we have at least two incredibly powerful enemies. And both of these powerful enemies are predators, just like what we read about in Proverbs chapter 7. So, enemy number one 
is right in here. Public enemy number one. Jeremiah says in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The heart, our heart is deceitful. It doesn't say our heart is easily deceived, which it is, but our own heart is deceitful. Our own heart within us works against us to lead us down the wrong path. We have this predator crouching within us. God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, he says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. And Cain did not master it, did he? Cain went and killed his brother Abel, the first murder ever. Sin is crouching at the door. There's that predatory image again. And where does sin come from? From the heart, Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. Out of the heart come evil thoughts and adultery and murder. All these things come out of the heart. So we have this predator right here inside us, pursuing us, drawing us into sin. And there's another predator that we know about too. 1 Peter 5.8 says that Be sober, be vigilant. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we have Satan outside of us, who's an enemy, preying on us, a predator, a lion, and we have the enemy within. And if we don't realize this, then we're just going to wander kind of aimlessly like the young man in Proverbs 7. We're not going to walk out our door like there's, there's enemies all around us. We're going to just be very passive in life. We have two powerful enemies, the beast within, the beast without, but we also have something incredible inside. And this is where our hope is. As Christians, if your faith is in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the moment you place your faith in Christ, the powerful Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who had so much power that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same Holy Spirit lives inside you And he is way more powerful than either of these beasts that we've been talking about. So know that, first of all, that the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit works with the word of God to transform you, to transform me. He's amazing. And we have to be living as though this is true because it is true. But if we aren't, we're going to get crushed by the two predators. So realize the two predators and then the Holy Spirit within Next, realize that there's a way out of every single temptation that has ever existed. And we're expected to pursue that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Isn't that amazing? Two, two promises there. First of all, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So when you're being tempted, know that there's a way out. There's always a way out for us as Christians. So how do we appropriate that? How do we flee temptation? Well, first thing we can do is, when we're being tempted, is pray and say, God, you said in your word that there's a way out of every single temptation Would you help me to see where that is right now? And I want to encourage you to pray that out loud because there's something about hearing your own voice confessing your own struggle. And and even that can help snap you out of the reverie that you've kind of maybe been sucked into. It's like, Lord, would you help me right now? And And then run. Start running somewhere. Go, I mean, 
throw your phone down on the couch or, or your computer, whatever it is, whatever it may be, just set it down and go do something else and get busy. Um, another thing that, that we're all very aware of, but it's, it's tremendously helpful, is to don't look again. Don't take second glances. If, if somebody very attractive walks past you, okay, don't go looking again. Don't dwell because the minute that we take a temptation in, we open the door and say, come on in, and we dwell on it, then we're halfway to actually, or further, to actually acting out on that temptation. So don't even bring it into our minds and dwell. We need to be dwelling on things that are above instead, on Scripture, on good things that God has put in front of us. And uh, another thing I just want to encourage us is to, to seek opportunities to speak out loud against pornography. If if pornography is very, very appealing, then how does it stop becoming appealing? Well, stop feeding it. Start speaking the truth about it. The lie is, hey, come on, this is going to be great. No problems. Nobody will know. What's the truth? It's going to suck you in toward death. And um, one thing that was helpful for me in my early 20s was to, if I had gone into a gas station and, and I happened to see some pornography in the racks, that was easily accessible, I would just say, hey, um, you know, I, I see you guys have some pornography right out there where anybody can access it. So that, that stuff wrecks families. It wrecks people. And then I would leave, and I, I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to, I mean, I thought maybe they would do something about it, but not likely. But at least for me, it was very helpful to start speaking the truth about what that thing is and what it does. So seek opportunities to speak the truth out loud against pornography. Next thing in this, in this battle to avoid sin is awesome. And that's this. Realize that Jesus is better than pornography. Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer. You know, pornography becomes an idol, right? What, is, what does pornography say? It says, hey, man, if, uh, if you're stressed out, you know, if, if life is hard, if, if you're... Not things aren't going well in your relationships or at work, or if you're bored, just come to me and I will give you what you need. I will, I will take care of you. You can find your refuge in me. That's what pornography says. But pornography is an empty idol, makes all kinds of promises, never, ever, ever delivers. But Jesus does deliver. Jesus is better than pornography. Uh, look with me a moment at a few verses out of Psalm 103. Jesus makes this possible. Verse 3. The Lord is the one who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is what Jesus is able to do. This is what God does for us through Christ. Pornography. Do you forgive all my iniquity? Pornography. Are you able to heal all my diseases? Pornography. Do you redeem my life from the pit? And do you crown me with steadfast love and mercy? Pornography. Do you satisfy me with good so that my youth is renewed like the eagles? How does pornography stack up to Christ? No comparison at all. Pornography doesn't redeem our lives from the pit. Pornography sucks us into the pit and wants to kill us. And finally, also want to encourage you to reorient, reorient yourself to God's view of sexuality through his word as we pursue the path of life, as we pursue God and his word. 
realize that it is the path of life. He tells us the good news about sex. God created sex, and he created it good to be within a marriage between a husband and a wife. That's what he made it for, and it's to be practiced often and to be enjoyed mutually. And it's, it's filled with understanding and sacrifice and love for one another and giving. And pornography is isolative. It's empty. It's self-focused. Okay? But if we look at porn a lot, we get that mindset into our brains and we lose the truth. We need to pursue the truth about sexuality from God's point of view. And then the next thing, the final thing I want to talk about in terms of avoiding temptation through pursuing the path of life is this, something else scripture calls us to, and that is to run with the herd. Um, got another picture of a lion up here. And, uh, and check it out. He's going the other direction. The herd. Run with the herd. Chase the predator away. There is safety in numbers. There's security in numbers. There's encouragement in numbers. Don't be isolated. Ask brothers. Get some brothers around you. Ask them to pray for you when you're tempted. And, and as you put together maybe a small group of men to be an encouragement to you, don't make it all about the struggle with porn. Instead, make it about how can we pursue Christ together? It doesn't mean that we don't address the struggle, you know, where we don't say, hey, man, how, how's it been going this week? Any temptations that you've been struggling with? How can we pray for you? Okay, that, that can be a part of it. But don't make that the consuming focus. You know, we want to pursue the path of life together. We want to pursue Christ together. Who is Jesus? If God, if the God of Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If that is truly the God of the Bible, and it is, do we know him that way? Do we know him as the God in whose presence is fullness of joy and who, who at his right hand are pleasures forevermore? Do we know him that way? If not, let's pursue him that way. We want to have our eyes open to that. Let's be an encouragement as brothers and take each other in that direction. And I want to, I want to close this morning this way. We're still pursuing the path of life, but how do you pursue the path of life when you have sinned? When you woke up in the morning, you're like, I'm done with this battle, I'm done with this struggle, but maybe by evening you've fallen again. What do we do? How do we still pursue the path of life? Or is it too late for us? We know it's not too late. What do we do? We repent from our sin and we turn to Jesus as soon as possible before our hearts get hard again. Repent immediately. And repentance looks like this. All of us, we're either walking towards sin or we're walking toward Christ. As soon as you turn your back on Christ, you're walking towards sin. As soon as you turn your back on sin, you're walking toward Christ. That's what repentance is. It means to turn. So if when you turn from your sin, it's not like you've got to walk 10 miles back to where Jesus is because Jesus is right there. As soon as you turn, he is right there. He always is. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. And I think one thing that we can struggle with is how can I repent? How, I mean, I've, I've failed again and again. How can I repent again? God's got to have enough of me at some point. But we know that this is not God. God is not like this. He's not like, here's Dan again. Um, man, you, you blew it this time. No, 
Well, I'll think about it. Why don't you, let's see, I'll give you several good deeds to do. Go do those good deeds, kind of get yourself back in my favor, then come back and see me, and I'll think about it. That's not who God is. Luke 15, Jesus tells us in three separate stories that God loves to forgive sinners, delights to. It's, he, he, it's just a joy to him to do that. It's not drudgery. He wants to. That's why he sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross, to pay for sin, so that we could be rescued from it. That's, that's why Jesus came. That was God's plan, so that he could forgive us for our sins. Okay? And in Luke 15, you know the story of, of the, the one young man who shamed his father, said, I don't care about your dad, just give me the money that's coming to me, my inheritance. And he goes into a far country, and he spends it to his father's shame, treats his father shamefully, takes the whole family name, drags it through the mud, and comes upon very difficult circumstances. And then he says to himself, man, even the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to my father, and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me like one of your hired servants. So he begins the shameful trek back home, but his father's been waiting for him, and his father sees him coming, and his father runs to him, and his father embraces him, and the son chokes out the words, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father ignores him and says, quick, bring those nice clothes, put a ring on his finger. Where's that fatted calf? Kill that thing. We're going to have a party and celebrate because my son is home. And Jesus told that story to illustrate how God loves to forgive sinners. And he did the same thing in the same chapter with the widow that had 10 coins, lost one, found it, called her friend, said, rejoice, I found the coin that was missing. And, and Jesus said, there's more joy in heaven when a sinner repents. There's a party in heaven. And he says something very similar with 100 sheep. Uh, one of them wanders away. The shepherd leaves the 99, goes and gets the one that strays, and he calls all his friends and says, Rejoice with me, I found my sheep that was lost. And again, Jesus says, There's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. God delights to forgive. So do not let shame and guilt isolate you from the living God who wants to forgive you and restore you. And then I want to say one more time, run with the herd. Um, James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is so much joy and hope in doing that. To confess your sins out loud and then to have somebody pray for you, to pray for one another, that brings healing, brothers. So I want to encourage you to do that. Don't neglect running with the herd. I had an experience where probably in my early 30s, I had slipped back into something that I should not have done. And I knew I had to tell my accountability brothers, but I didn't want to. And I guess I could have not done it, but I just felt compelled to. And, and as I, I choked out my shameful words, these brothers said, Dan, we know what the struggle's like. And you know what? That's why Jesus came. So that God can forgive sinners. His grace is for you. And they prayed for me. And it didn't have the effect of, ooh, that was easy. That wasn't as bad as I thought. I'll just keep sinning. No, it had the opposite effect. It was like, this is not cheap grace. This was purchased at a very high price, and I've had it bestowed on me. Thank you, Lord, for that. And finally, let me just say this. If you don't know where to start, where do I go next? I'm, this is heavy on my heart. 
I want to encourage you to find a wise, trusted Christian brother and talk to that brother. Do it sooner rather than later. Swallow pride. It's not easy, but do it. We can do this. Or talk to one of your pastors. Um, and, and just get the ball moving. That's the way of wisdom. That's the path of life. That's a step in the direction of wisdom. Instead of being isolated, you're moving toward being surrounded by others. And finally, uh, just in the back, uh, on the table back there, on a stool back by that door, there's some resource sheets just for resources to, do, to help in this battle. So pick one up for a friend of yours that you know might be struggling or, or for maybe one of your kids or maybe for yourself on the way out. Okay, with that said, let me go ahead and close us with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have made known to us the path of life, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the way to the Father. And there's no other way to come to you but through him. But that path of life is, is just filled with joy and eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lord, I pray for my brothers here and my sisters here, anybody who may be struggling with this or any other sin, that we would run from that and run to Christ and know that you delight to forgive and restore. Thank you that that's who you are. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.